Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the offseason keeps chugging along as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 49. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with a software engineer, Marcus Armstrong. Now, some of you out there are listening to this podcast may be wondering, who the heck is Marcus Armstrong? Well, you know those awesome spider graphs that are all over the internet right now comparing the athletic testing numbers of draft prospects from this class And then looking back to the beginning of time, yeah, that's because of Marcus. He's the brains behind the operation at MockDraftable.com. And he and I are going to talk about the importance of measurables and data comparison and how all of these things fit into the player evaluation process. It's a really interesting conversation because I really think that it's a big part of today's NFL. And most importantly, how do those numbers get weighted against the tape study? Because you know I'm all about what a guy can do on tape. So we talk about that and a whole lot more, so stay tuned for that conversation. Next up, we've got two technique, where we look at a player that shined in those mock draftable spider graphs a year ago, and that's linebacker Jordan Hicks. I chatted with Jordan about the things that go through a linebacker's head when defending outside runs. Obviously, a player's athletic ability has a lot to do with that. So I was really happy to catch up with Jordan. And then we wrap it all up with Saturday Scouting, where we're going to take a look at tight end Trey Burton. He was a really versatile playmaker coming out of Florida a few years ago. And I think that coming out of Florida back in 2014, I'll explain how the athleticism with him is a big part of how valuable he is uh, to this Eagles roster. So we've got a ton to get into. Let's not waste any time. I mentioned earlier I caught up with Marcus Marcus Armstrong to talk about the importance of athletic measurables and analytics in this NFL draft. Let's get things rolling with Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very happy to be joined by Marcus Armstrong, a software engineer at Huddle, and also the main programmer over at MockDraftable.com. It's a really awesome resource for anybody that follows the draft, especially if you're interested in the combine and pro day numbers. And Marcus, I want to start there. I know this is a really loaded question, but just explain to everybody out there how you got the idea of Mock Draftable going and what it took to get it off the ground. Yeah, sure. So, um, like I would imagine most people that uh, listen to this podcast, I've spent a fair amount of time playing Madden, um, and specifically Madden Franchise Mode. Uh, and I always loved that they had these visualizations of players when you were going through like the draft process in Madden. Um, and I always wanted that to be a part of like the real football experience. Uh, so, yeah, uh, when I was in college, I spent some time prototyping it, put it up on the Internet. No one really looked at it. Um, and uh, then I got sort of involved in the draft Twitter community, and uh, things sort of spread from there. So coming from your background, from like a software and data analysis standpoint, when you look at the way that the NFL, and I guess more so NFL media train, <laughs> looks, at the, uh, looks at the combine, and how it's factored into the evaluation process. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you think that it's overvalued, undervalued? What are your thoughts overall when you look at how important the combine is to the entire process? Uh, oh, boy, that's a, that's a big question. Um, so I, I think there's a, a few different facets there. Uh, I think, in general, uh, fans 
tend to overvalue the combine, but I think they overvalue it uh, in that they they select the wrong attributes to value. Um, so you know you, you talk about things like height, weight, and forty time, um, and in reality these are not the most important events at the combine, uh, even when it comes to like measurables and things, um, and. So you've got some teams that have figured this out and they're doing things uh, in a very innovative way, like the Seahawks with uh, all the Spark stuff. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of that, I highly encourage you to go uh, check out Three Sigma Athlete, Zach Whitman's stuff. It's fantastic work. Um, but really, I, I, my point is, uh, if, if you're looking at the Combine as a way to measure uh, athleticism, and you're looking at athleticism as, as something beyond just like a 40 time, I think it can be an incredibly valuable tool and incredibly predictive. Um, but if, if you're going to restrict yourself to uh, very hard numbers and uh, projecting uh, long speed into athleticism, I think you're going to have a hard time with it and get bad results. Well, that's what I think is really interesting. And your your graphs always do such a good job of illustrating it is that sometimes a guy will go to the combine and he'll run a subpar 40, but his jumps and his shuttles, which, and I agree with you, those are those numbers are more important. They're more translatable to, to the game of football. Those guys test really, really well in the jumps and the shuttles, but in the 40 they run and it's, oh, they, the guy ran a 4.67, and everyone says, oh, he had a bad combine, where in fact, you know, yeah, the, he had a 4.67, but you know, he ran a a four two one short shuttle, and he ran a six six three uh, three cone. Wow, that's great, and it's great too because then you're also able to compare that to other players at the same position. Absolutely, and if you want to talk about a player that's like a perfect example of that is Allen Robinson. Sure. Um, yeah, ran a four six, but the rest of his numbers were phenomenal, and yeah. it played out pretty well for him. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because. And I, I got to tell you that you're, the way that you've been able to illustrate this data has really helped me too with my process as I try and you know look at all these guys and try and project how they're going to do once they enter the NFL. And the one thing I wanted to ask you too is, and I mentioned this, that you compare all of your de- all of these test scores and they're all put into percentiles compared to players, every player that has gone through the test. And what it, and it goes back right to, to what is it 1999? How far back do your numbers go? Yeah, yeah, I go back to 1999 because that's a realistically as far back as you can go where we have publicly available data. Gotcha. Um, the teams have bigger databases than this, I'm sure, but yeah. So like, what it, it's really helped me because you, I love that you can see the percentiles and you can really tell. Okay, what what is a good uh, ten yard dash time? What is a good three code time? What I've done is that. Go ahead. No, I was going to say what I've done is like I'll take it and I'll say, okay, it's going to be over the last five years. The way I look at it is over the last five years, players drafted at that position. So it's a much smaller data set. But it's, a, you know, to me, it's like, okay, you, you could see the comparing a player that ran a, a 10 yard dash to a guy, you know, in 2016 as compared to one that ran it in 2002. What is it that do you just want the bigger data set or do you want it? How is it that? Uh, you feel like is the best way to kind of distribute that data? Uh, so there's two factors there. Uh, so the first is that you really don't see that much change. 
um, <laughs> which is kind of a surprising thing. Um, but I, at least in the numbers that I've looked at, I haven't seen a significant trend on really any of the measurements that the combine tracks uh, over the time period that I've uh, got data for. So the idea of like a, a five-year window, I get where that comes from because, you know, we have this idea that uh, the NFL is changing and, and, you know, positional roles, especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, are changing. But that's not something that plays out when you look at, uh, I'd say, like combine invitees as a whole. You don't see those types of movements. Um, you know, the creation of specific roles for, you know, big slot receivers or uh, hybrid linebacker safeties. Those are small enough events over the development of the NFL that they aren't going to show up in the averages. Um, and, oh man, I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> um, as far as the selection of players uh, to include in those numbers, yeah, uh, so... My database consists primarily of combine invitees with ad hoc additions for players that uh, merit special notice from pro days. Um, it's, you know, it's an imperfect, biased sample, but it's good enough that it, uh, in the sense that it's pulling from a pool of NFL-caliber athletes for the most part. Um, and so... I think it's reasonable in terms of getting context in that regard. See, that's interesting, especially the part about, you know, not seeing too much of a change from the, the early stages of the testing numbers to now. It's, it's interesting stuff. So, all right, let's transition now into, into this class. Were there any positive surprises for you after seeing all the numbers and seeing everything come back from this combine? Who were some of the positive surprises for you as you started to put the numbers into your system? Sure thing. Um, so I'm going to start out with the best-known name I've got here, and that's, uh, I think Jalen Ramsey had a fantastic combine. Um, I mean, you look at <laughs> his performance in the jumps specifically, especially at his size, phenomenal, phenomenal performance from him. And uh, I don't know if you've ever spent any time looking at the athletic comparisons section of my site, um, but if you look there, you'll see some, some great names popping up for Jalen Ramsey. We've got, like, Akib Talib, Antonio Cromartie, uh, Charles Tillman. Um, just, yeah, going to underline, he has a phenomenal combine. Um, Lesser-known defensive back, uh, Sean Davis from Maryland. Uh, also, just put up fantastic numbers, especially on the agility side of things. Um, some really good work from him. And uh, I don't know how under the radar this guy is, but uh, I was really impressed with Joe Suni, a guard out of NC State's performance in the Combine. Um, some great agility numbers, uh, just great movement numbers in general, uh, and paired with a 110-inch broad jump, which is just excellent for a, a over 300-pound guy. See, and I'm glad you brought up the player comparisons because that's one of my favorite parts of your site is that you can see, you know, who is it that you guys compare to athletically, you know, counting in their both physical measurables and then they're also their athletic measurables. And I love it when guys that I watch on tape 
I'll say, you know, I like, for instance, Sean Davis. I watched Sean Davis back last year going, you know, from the, off the 2014 season, and the Eagles had just drafted Eric Rowe in the second round out of Utah. And I watched Sean Davis, and I said, you know what? He, act, he reminds me a lot of Eric Rowe. Similar stories, too. You know, played safety, played corner. Mm-hmm. Then they both go down to the senior bowl. Both guys played safety. The athletic numbers come back. And correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't it a 99% similarity between Eric Rowe and Sean Davis? Yeah, uh, it's, it's incredible. I, <laughs> I have a lot of guys in my database, and I, that's by far the strongest comparison I've ever seen. Their, their combined numbers are eerily similar. Yeah, and yeah. It's, 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 I love because you, know, you look at the athletic similarities, and then if they match up to a guy on tape, and what I saw there, it's just a great way to help kind of paint a picture because, you know, and fans love player comparisons. They, they love oh, them yeah. because it helps to paint a picture in their mind. I, my, my problem with player comparisons is always that it's so rare that you find one where it's like all-encompassing, yep, height, weight, speed matches, play style matches, you know, play demeanor and the way that he plays, everything matches up. So I always end up saying like, oh, well, he's got a little bit of this guy, but he also has a little bit of this player, and you end up being a, a two- or three-player comparison. Uh, that's why people look at me like I have three heads when I say Derrick Henry has some similarities to like a Melvin Gordon. Um, you know, but it, it's, yeah, you know, it's just it's interesting because you get to see some of those athletic comparisons, and it's such a apples-to-apples apples comparison. Um, so then how about from a negative standpoint? Were there any guys that kind of disappointed you with their number of performance? Sure. Uh, I'll highlight two. Um, I don't want to rag on guys too hard, but uh, I was I was really hoping for a better combine performance than Scooby Wright because um, you know I love watching him play, but uh, frankly, the numbers that he put up at the combine don't look like an NFL player. Um, so that was pretty disappointing to see, and it, it's pretty much across the board too. Um, from the uh, the more well known prospects that are, you know, higher up in the draft this year, I would have to go with uh, Ronnie Stanley as having one of the more disappointing combines. Uh, for somebody that's touted as a, a pretty elite athlete, and, I mean, he is an elite athlete in terms of size and, uh, to some extent, his movement ability, but uh, the agility numbers that he posted are really quite bad and just not of the level of a first-round tackle. Um, and then if you add in the fact that he refused to participate in the, uh, the jump. That's uh, not a great performance out of him. So how, how do you take that into account? If a guy, so if a guy has a poor performance at his, at the combine, but then he goes to the pro day, how does that, uh, and he improves on all those numbers. How does that change in your system? Pro day data. I prefer to not use it. Um, if, if there's a situation where a player didn't participate in an event in the combine and then participated at their pro day, I'll bring in those numbers or for a a guy that was injured at the combine and just wasn't able to really attend, I'll pull in his numbers that way. Or for guys that aren't combine invitees, I'll pull in their pro day numbers. But for the most part, I prefer not to use them uh, largely because you you get some really bad data from pro days. Um, I don't know how well people follow the, uh, the, the pro day circuit, but uh, back what was it three weeks ago? Uh, we had the Ohio State pro day, where like guys were running four twos. It's nonsense, uh, you know. Uh, they have these fast tracks that are like downhill with the wind, 
And you can't really use that data to compare unless you're willing to adjust it. And I always feel a little dirty about making adjustments to numbers um, that are recorded as fact um, elsewhere. So I, I try to avoid ProDay data unless it's absolutely necessary in order to draw the comparisons and such. So that, that this leads me to my last question for you, Marcus, and that's when you see a guy who, you know, on tape, you take a guy, for instance, Jarvis Landry, right, who had, you know, had an all-time bad combine performance, was just brutal in every imaginable way at Indianapolis. When you have a guy like Jarvis Landry who, <clears throat> you know, when I watched him on tape, he was a top five wide receiver for me. And a guy that, was he a great athlete? No, but it wasn't something where I was really concerned about his athleticism before the combine. How, in your opinion, do you weigh a player's performance on tape to what you see at the combine? What to you is uh, really paints the picture better of a guy's athleticism? Do you want to trust the numbers or do you trust your eyes? Um, so for me, uh, I'm not a scout, you know, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. So for me, I'm very much a, a numbers guy, but I think it's, a, I think it's to a very large degree, a matter of threshold and, uh, the question of whether or not this player is going to be able to do the things that he needs to do at an NFL level, um, rather than saying uh, pure continuum where the faster you are, the better you are. I don't think it works like that. I think it's just a matter of, you know, is this player going to have the athleticism that he needs, uh, just a yes or no, in order to be able to perform in the, the style that he uses at the collegiate level. Um, so for a guy like Jarvis Landry, um, which <laughs> for those of you that follow me on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen me make fun of his combine in the past because really he is the slowest wide receiver in the NFL. Um, but then again, it's also not his game to beat people with speed. He beats people with clever roots and good hands. Um, and so in that sense, his athletic measurables are a lot less important. But if you're talking about a guy like uh, Will Fuller in this class, you know, him running a fast 40 is really important because that's what he does is run by people. Um, and you want to be able to, to establish that he's going to be able to do that on an NFL level by establishing that he has NFL caliber speed. Um, so I guess my answer is it depends a lot on the style of the player um, because what we're really trying to establish is whether or not they're going to be able to be successful doing the things that they're doing in college because we're trying to establish whether or not they project. All right, well, Marcus, really just awesome stuff. And thanks again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will talk to you soon, and I really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Marcus. And, again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Mock Draftable. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that gets produced here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. We've got a lot more to get into, but it's that time of the show. Let me welcome in my favorite guy in the room, the man with a plan, the guy who drives the ship here, Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? Not much. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing so, right. so coming off the interview with Marcus, a lot yeah. of great numbers, 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 numbers. Yes. Are there any measurable numbers that are big in the, in the, in the draft that yeah, people I mean, just kind of look out for? Well, like, I think that it's different for each position, certainly. And it's – here's my, my problem with numbers has always been you can get numbers to tell any kind of story you want. 
to support any kind of claim you want. You could say the same about film. Like if you just say, if you say to me, uh, you know, oh, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry's got a great wiggle. You know, he's got the ability to make defenders miss. You could, I could go and find one play of film right. that shows him make a defender miss. Absolutely. You can have a stat make, make any point you want. Exactly. So it, everything kind of, you can get everything to kind of tell the story. And numbers are certainly a part of that. But really the way I see it is it's just another piece of the puzzle. It's a way to help try and paint a picture of what a, a, a prospect is in its totality. You know, so, you know, it's always great when, you know, uh, just things match up. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing is like, you know, yeah. it's great. It's, and it's, it, here's an interesting example, right? Let's talk about hand size with a quarterback. Jared Goff was, it was the big thing at the combine was, oh, he's only got nine inch hands. You know, the, the, everyone's making a big deal about it. Well, it's a big deal for Jared Goff, who's got nine inch hands because he had fumbling issues all throughout his career and not just fumbling issues, but then also the issue of holding on to the football in bad weather. There was the game a couple years ago against Oregon where he got pulled in the second half because he couldn't hold on to the football. Christian Hackenberg has the same exact size hand. No one has said a peep about Jar- about Christian Hackenberg and his ability and you know his small hands because those issues don't present themselves in the game. So uh, you know it's just interesting that the numbers can always tell a different story regardless of, of how you tell it. It's all it just all it's all it's just a tiny piece of the puzzle. So right. to me, it's always great when you can see a guy you know play the game. You watch a guy on tape, and you can see you know what. He's got a lot of trouble getting off blocks, or you know, he's he's always just a step slow getting to the perimeter. I'll talk about a linebacker. You know, he's he's always a step slow getting to the perimeter. One of those guys is Scooby Wright. So what does Scooby Wright do? I felt that way about Scooby Wright. He goes to the to the combine. His arms measure in really really small, 30, 30 and a half inch arms, which you know that has a little bit of an effect on getting off blocks. If you get become engaged with a blocker trying to shed, if you've got short arms, that blocker is going to have an easier time getting into you. Right. But then also his forty time his 10-yard dash time, his short shuttle, his vertical jump, things that measure quickness, explosion, you know, that, that speed, were all bottom-shelf numbers. They were all in the 20th percentile or lower. So they helped tell the story of Scooby Wright. But then you also have the other times, too. You look at a guy like Ron Thompson, right? He was a, a junior edge rusher from Syracuse. Ron Thompson is a guy I watched, and I thought, you know what? This guy reminds me a lot of D. Ford. He's got, he's got good movement skills. He can, you know, get upfield. He's got a quick burst. He's got the ability to change direction. He can move laterally. You know, I, Ron Thompson's a pretty good athlete. He goes to the combine. He runs a four nine two. He's got a one seven ten yard dash. He runs an awful three cone seven four six. And now you're wondering, all right, well, you know, what does what? How athletic is he? So that those are the things that really bring the question. Like, all right, well. Is the guy a solid athlete and he just doesn't test particularly well? Right. Uh, does he just play faster? Or did I just not see it right? You know, and then you start questioning yourself. So those are the ones where it always gets tricky. But it's always great when, you know, like I said, with the Scooby Wright example, you know, where you can go and you watch a guy and you say, you know what? That's a Charles yeah. Davis favorite right there. Yeah. And I, I enjoy watching him. But That's true. It's, it's, it's funny how where you, you have numbers and they're telling you exactly what you think you know, but sometimes – you don't want to make that. You don't want to go on a limb and make that theory true because you're like, hmm, do I want to believe what I'm seeing on tape or do I want to believe what I'm seeing kind of in the analytics with the numbers? Yeah, and it, it's always tough too because, and it's like we just talked about with Marcus. You know, some guys can go to the combine, and you know, Jarvis Landry had an all-time awful combine. You know, when I watched Jarvis Landry at LSU, did I think he was like this great athlete? No, I didn't think that he was a stiff either. You know, and there are some guys that go to the combine, and this was an issue this year. A lot of slow times. 
And we talked with Tony Pauline on the on the Journey to the Draft podcast, and what did he say? There were lots of issues with the flu and lots of guys that were getting sick, not just players, but coaches and GMs Staff, and scouts. Yeah. Everybody was getting sick out of the combine. And a lot of players, that's why a lot of them, they took the first couple tests and then they stopped because the numbers were so bad. They said, I, I, can't, I can't keep going. I'm, I'm going to have an awful combine. Uh, so a lot of guys were really affected by sickness. Was that the case with everybody? No. But it's just, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's a really tough way to try and gauge it. But it's always, it's always nice and pretty when the numbers match up to match, the tape, helps tell when, the story. When the, when the, puzzle, when the puzzle pieces fit, you're like, yes. perfect. Numbers, ma- numbers match. What I'm seeing on tape matches, the interviews match, it's all kind of kind of pairs together. But I think that's that's what makes this process interesting is that, yep. you know, obviously they, the the Browns signed Paul DePodesta. It was like, can you bring in the analytics side yep. to tell the story? A lot of people in the traditional football world think you can't. I think you can, and like you said, it it, it tells it tells it tells a piece of the puzzle. It's not yep. everything. You can't put all your all your eggs in a basket on all the numbers. Yep. By, and vice versa, you can't just put all your eggs in a basket on what you see on, on tape. It's, yeah. it's obviously a blend of everything mixed together. Exactly. And I think that really the big thing, especially when you get in, because analytics is such like a wide term and everybody wants to use it. There's so many different ways now you that you can use. Too, because, yeah. you know, is it when you're looking at analytics, are you looking at it based off athletic testing numbers, which is obviously a lot of what we just talked about with Marcus. Is it purely based on measurables? And to me, that's a big part of it. You know, teams can help thin the herd. And, you know, all these prospects, there's hundreds of guys that teams are looking at. But if you set minimums for yourself, thresholds that all these players have to be able to reach, if you like a defensive lineman that has to have 33-inch arms, Anyone that falls under that threshold, hey, they don't meet it. That's a good chunk of the load. You might miss on some players that, right. that can play, but at least look, you, you're thinning the herd. You're to the defining point where what, you're defining right. what you want. You know, so uh, a lot of a lot of teams do that. But then there's the statistical analysis, and you're talking about numbers and yards per catch, and you know yards per attempt, and can, you know act real completion percentage for quarterback. That's all. It get, it gets really tricky sometimes because football, unlike basketball, unlike baseball, it's a lot harder to. To take those stats, the numbers don't translate. They the don't same, translate right? always because of the, just the different ways that you can play, especially in the differences between the college game and the pro game, right. for a number of different reasons. And we've talked about some of those here in the podcast. But, but you even look at a guy like Brady. I mean, he didn't have outstanding numbers, so it's yep. it's sometimes you can't measure no. a, a guy's total athletic ability and what he can do on the field until you actually put the guy on the field. Right. You know? And you can't just look at his combine numbers and every, and, and try to make. An overall pitcher because you might not be right until you actually see what the guy can do in, in real life situations. That's so. a, that's the whole competitive toughness and football character exactly. side of it. That I mean, Russell Wilson. Yeah. Everyone, everyone wanted to draft him, but everyone was like, he's just a hair too small. Right, and, and goes, that doesn't matter. It didn't really matter, you know. Exactly right. So we could keep talking about this for a long time, but obviously uh, we've got a lot more to get get to in this show. Let's keep it rolling. We talked with Marcus about the athletic numbers, and one guy who really helped himself last year with his athletic testing at the Combine, was Jordan Hicks. And I got a chance to catch up with Jordan, talk to him about his ability to defend perimeter runs and what goes into that as a linebacker. Let's get to that conversation in two technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Here now with Eagles linebacker Jordan Hicks. And Jordan, I wanted to talk to you about the difficulties of playing the perimeter run game uh, as a linebacker. What is the number one difficulty, I guess, that that comes with trying to make sure that you maintain your gap as well as get on the move and make sure you're trying to out-leverage that run? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the most difficult part is, uh, you know, maintaining your gap while um, offensive linemen are climbing up to you, trying to block you and, and push you by. Um, you know, trying to stay inside out. Uh, and, and really just leverage the ball. Um, 
you know, you've got to trust in your outside guys to leverage the outside. And, you know, if you're an inside guy, you got to leverage the inside. So, um, you know, just taking on the block and, and, and maintaining that leverage would probably be the hardest part. Is the what's more important, your eyes or your hands in that kind of scenario where, and really I guess your feet as well, you're, everything's kind of intertwined. Uh, what is What would you say is the most important thing uh, of that process? It's your hands and your tempo. I mean, it's, um, you know, you've got to match the tempo of the runner. Um, and at the same time, you got to use your hands uh, to get off of the blocks. A lot of the what running backs are trying to do, really what the offense is trying to do, is trying to get the defense to string it out so they can find that cutback. Uh, how important is it to also press the line of scrimmage so you're not just moving east-west but then also get north-south? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is important um, because, you know, ultimately the ball is trying to cut back. Um, and, and, you know, you got to uh, have your gap integrity to, to make sure that doesn't happen. So, yeah, it, it definitely takes a little bit of pressing the ball. That was great stuff there from Jordan, and he did a great job breaking down the specifics of defending perimeter runs as linebacker. So now I'm going to quickly break down how to subscribe to a podcast. And if you're listening to this on the Eagles app or on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and you like what you hear, it's really easy. You just go to your handy-dandy smartphone, you search for the podcast app, you go into the search bar, you type in Eagle Eye in the Sky, you hit subscribe, and now this show comes to your phone each and every week, and you can listen whenever and wherever you want. You can do it with the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. You can do it with the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro. Go and check out all of our podcast offerings at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. The Eagles Insider podcast will return this fall, so a lot that you can consume there, and it's it's a great way to consume content. So. Uh, Let's transition now into the end of the show. Let's wrap it up like we do every single week with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, B. So this week on Saturday Scouting, I wanted to take a look at a player that I loved coming out of school. And he came in in a tight end class that a lot there were a lot of players that went high. You know, Eric Ebron went in the top, I think he went in the ninth overall, tenth overall. Uh, you had Jason Morrow. You had a number of players in that class that went first, second, third round. And no one was talking about Trey Burton coming out of Florida. Uh, he had played a number of different positions. He do everything. Set the record for touchdowns in one game in the SEC. Scored seven touchdowns in one game against Kentucky. But, you know, came in, he was 6'2 and, and one eighth. He was small, 224 pounds. Had a solid combine, especially in terms of the shuttles and the 40. The jumps weren't great, but overall, good athletic performance. And he was known for his athletic ability, his movement skills. The big thing was that he was undersized. So the media and analysts, everyone was looking at him. And look, he went undrafted. So obviously teams were worried about it as well. He was undersized. His hands came in very small, 9 and 3 eighths inches. His arms were 31 inches even. Again, the size played a big factor. But when you watched him, and this was the thing with me, and I'll go through my notes now when I watched him at Florida, he was listed as a wide receiver on Florida's roster, but he had played a number of different roles during his time with the Gators. Over the last four years, Burton has played quarterback, tailback, fullback, receiver, and as a move tight end or H-back. Also had a wildcat package in the offense. An athletic mismatch inside and over the middle, Burton displayed good speed and the ability to run away from linebackers in the open field. He's a better route runner than given credit for, shows the ability to create separation at the top of his stem, and he really sells double moves well. He's an intelligent player that does a good job attacking the technique of defenders in coverage, and he settles well into underneath zone concepts. And what I mean by attacking the technique of defenders in coverage is, you know, picture, picture a wide receiver and a DB going up against each other, and the, the defensive back is in off coverage, and he's in his pedal, okay? And the receiver 
right away gets on top of him. He's, he's running right at the defender, and then he breaks down. He comes down to it. He, he throttles down right on top of the defender's toes. And when you're stepping on the defender's toes, think about it. You're a receiver. You know which way you're going. But if you're able to disguise that part of the route, that drive phase of the route, the, the defender doesn't know, are you running a stutter go? Are you running a dig? Are you running a post or a corner? Are you running a comeback? You know, there's all these different routes that you can run, and you can, you know, they all happen at different stages of the field where it's short, intermediate, or deep. But he did such a good job of getting separation at the top of his stem from that respect, you know, at the drive phase of the route. I was really, really impressed with Burton's ability to do that. As we continue here, you know, at the catch point, Burton had reliable hands, consistently reeled in passes away from his frame. He had good ball skills, and he had plenty of practice adjusting to poorly thrown passes in the Florida offense. I thought he was a weapon with the football in his hands and consistently showed the ability to be a yards-after-catch threat in the NFL at the tight end position. He gave good effort as a blocker on the perimeter, and again, he was lined up as a, as a wide receiver, so he often lined up in the slot, displayed proper hand placement and the ability to finish defensive backs in space. Now, as far as the negatives... Size was a big concern, and I think teams will wonder if he's a full-time player unless he's seen as a fullback, which is interesting. He will have to add size and strength to play tight end in the NFL. Obviously, since that point, I think he's put on 11, 12 pounds. He's a willing blocker, but he doesn't have much experience as an inline player and can still improve in that facet of his game. Overall, I saw Burton as a valuable chess piece for an offense, as a movable part that can line up in a number of different spots and win against NFL second and third level defenders. He's both quick and fast. He's got very good ball skills and is an underrated route runner. And the fact that he's a willing blocker gives me hope that he'll continue to grow into a more full-time player at the next level. I fully expect Burton to turn into a key piece of an offense, either as a move tight end or as a fullback. So you guys can tell, I really, really liked Trey Burton coming out of Florida. I was really excited when they signed him as an undrafted free agent coming out you know, from the Gators. I knew he was going to make the team. I felt really good about the fact that he was going to make it, and he's really gotten better each of the past couple of years. I'm excited about the role he'll play in this Doug Peterson offense. And I, and I think you mentioned it before. I think what hurt him at Florida is that he did everything. Yeah. Like, he didn't have a defined role, so I think when he got to the NFL minds, it's like, well, where do we put this guy? He's, he has so much film in so many different areas, it's hard to really evaluate a specific area. And it's like you see a game where he catches seven touchdowns, or yeah. he has seven touchdowns in a game. I think five or six of them were rushing, and one of them was was throwing or catching. But I think so, yeah. But um, but it's just like, how do you evaluate a guy that's just doing so much in so many yeah. different areas? But um, how do you see him kind of fitting in into this offense, into this scheme? Well, you know, I think that, and I mentioned in the in the the notes that I thought he could play fullback. So it could could that be a uh, we don't have a true fullback? Yeah, we don't. Could that be a possibility? We'll see. But I think that look. You know that he's a great special teamer, so he's going to be active on game day. So now you got to find ways, and that's why I, I wish we saw more of that last, year, especially the last year. Was find ways to get him the football because he could be a mismatch guy. You know, and he's more explosive than people give him credit for. We saw that long catch and run against Detroit. Yep. I remember his rookie year in the preseason. He went up against Ryan Shazier, who was a first round pick in that draft, and beat Shazier clean down the seam. I mean, he's a good athlete for the tight end spot. I'm really excited about the role he can play, and I think he can be, like I said you know, when he was coming out of college, I think he can be that kind of movable chess piece. So I'm really excited about the role that Burton can play 
moving forward. But let's wrap the show up. Thanks again to Marcus, to Jordan Hicks, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, on Stitcher, or TuneIn, or Google Play, or Spotify, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And if you get the time, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment. We've had a couple comments in the past few days. Really happy to hear from everybody out there. We want to make everybody happy. So wherever you listen, just go on, shoot us a comment, and we'll make the show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for BT. I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.